Hi, I'm Charles Gossier, President and CEO of the Downtown Vancouver Business Improvement Association. We're proud to sponsor the Coping with COVID-19 daily podcast series this month and hope you've enjoyed the great video content produced by Business in Vancouver. I know that my team and I have found this series informative and helpful. Please help support our local businesses during these very challenging times. Whether it's buying a gift card from your favorite retailer or treating yourself to takeout from a local restaurant, your support is so important right now. Thanks everyone and stay strong. Welcome to Coping with COVID-19, the daily podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Crypto Point, publisher and editor-in-chief of BC Premier John Horgan today outlined a four-step plan to reopen elements of the economy piece by piece, uh, starting with later this month, with some things that will happen. To discuss the plan, I'm happy to be joined uh, this afternoon by Greg Davignon. He's the president and CEO of the Business Council of British Columbia. We're going to talk about this plan. Hi, Greg. Hi, how are you, Kurt? Thanks for having me. Well, uh, some initial thoughts, uh, you know, the big trend on what do you think about this plan? Well, I don't think it's surprising. Uh, the BC government, Dr. Bonnie Henry, I think have done an exemplary job of uh, protecting the public health and protecting public health care. Um, but the consequence in British Columbia is that while we're unique and we've kept most of the economy operating, albeit at a minimal level, uh, we're also facing the backdrop of a global recession, and we need to get the economy moving again. Households need to have income. Uh, the government needs to have income. We're seeing unprecedented levels of debt at the provincial, national, and uh, international level. Uh, the U.S. government this morning just recognized they're going to have six times more uh, debt piled on through their deficit this year than at any other time in history. So uh, we've got to get the economy moving again, and despite the fact we've been an outlier in that we're similar to North Korea, or pardon me, South Korea, in terms of our protection of the um, of the public and, and flattening the curve. Uh, our analysis, as you know, uh, projects that we're going to see a 7.3 to 11% decline in real GDP in British Columbia this year. And to equate that for your listeners, uh, that means 2.6% in the Great Recession of 08-09 over a nine-month period of time was the drop in real GDP. So we're a quantum larger yeah. than that. And those are big numbers, but it, it's hundreds of thousands of people that have lost their jobs. Many of those jobs will not come back, and we're going to see tens of thousands of businesses that are insolvent. And so we need to be really smart around how we restart and how we rebuild and reimagine the economy. But look... Uh and, you know, you could argue that that hasn't been typically the role of government, right? The role of government has been to look after people uh, mm -hmm. who have some need um, for the greater good uh, for society to try to mm -hmm. deal with some of those issues. But governments aren't really all about getting an economy going again. So how, how does this government get to do that? Well, I think uh, going back, if you look through history, that uh, we've gone back to 1300 and some of the research we've done and the impact of pandemics on economies and societies and governments. And in every case of uh, this kind of magnitude, and this is the first modern pandemic, it takes three to five years to get back to some semblance of economic uh, stability. But in doing so, when you get there, it's a completely different world. High cost producers are out of business. Uh, world supply chains uh, are fundamentally altered. 
uh, and governments and governance changes dramatically. Bretton Woods coming out of Second World War is the best example with the Marshall Plan. And so you're quite right. Governments can't afford to be the paymaster and the bank for every Canadian, every Canadian business. We just haven't got the resources to do that. But they can do two things that I think are important. They can make the economy more frictionless. And in Canada for the last 20 years, we've had the luxury of being able to pile on regulations and policy and process where the exercise is to go through the process, not to actually create something coming out of it. And despite that, we've had a pretty good run. But now we need to create a frictionless economy that has the ability to compete globally, where the WTO shows, for example, Kurt, as you know, that uh, we're going to see as much as a 25% decline in global trade this year. So be bold, uh, become the first digital economy globally that manages the environment using our VR and AR global capacity here, using Internet of Things so you're streaming regulatory compliance instead of somebody in a truck with a clipboard that's much less efficient and much more subjective. Uh, and there's an opportunity for First Nations reconciliation. So there's a myriad of those kinds of things you could move quicker with purpose and better outcomes. So you don't feel then that governments have to abandon uh, some of those purposes, some of those strategies around everything from climate change to reconciliation to you know bridging a lot of the inequity in society. You you feel that that you know that essentially that can still take place as we repair an economy. I think we can, but the priorities change. Um, I would argue in Canada for the last seven to eight years, the focus has been on what are the things that we want to do. Uh, because we've got the luxury to do them. And so it's been um, important values-based issues around the margins that ultimately deal with some of those issues. And it's inherently Canadian. But the problem is now we actually need to create a competitive, robust, and innovative future-looking economy to pay for that kind of quality of life. We've had the luxury of being able to, frankly, for the last couple of decades, uh, enjoy a, a great quality of lifestyle and all the benefits that go with it, including environmental protections. Um, so the answer isn't to cut corners, but it's to create economic wealth, opportunity, and higher wage jobs through better productivity that pay the, the wages of government, that pay taxes and rents, to be able to be really thoughtful around those issues that you've talked about. So it's an and, but the and has to be led by a robust, frictionless, and competitive economy in a much changed world that we're going to emerge from going forward. We're going to have to fight for every nickel of GDP. Were you, uh, were there any surprises today in the staging in this four part staging of the government in terms of what it wants to do in reopening the economy? Not really. I, I think uh, the one thing that probably will catch most people by attention, and we've been uh, very engaged with government coming back to your comment earlier, it's been a very collaborative time with common purpose and fact base and moving with speed to an outcome. So the irony is what I'm arguing for, we've been experiencing the last six weeks. How do we get things done in a hurry at a high level and high quality? The thing I think that kept, will capture people's attention is the skepticism. I know Bonnie Henry has exhibited a couple of times around the, un, the uh, unlikely event we're going to have a vaccine that's going to make this all better and go away. I think she's believing, which we do, is that this is going to be a much larger process. I've been talking to pharmaceutical companies here and around the world. There's 63 different nations actually pursuing therapies and vaccine approaches. And all 63 have said, we're actually, if we develop a vaccine, 
we're going to treat our own people first, and then yeah. we'll see what we do with the rest of the yeah, world. Yeah, developing a vaccine is not exactly like releasing a piece of software where the wide world downloads it and we're all fine by uh, morning. You know, it, uh, I mean, it could be years just to frankly get vaccines around the world. Well, and, and it also uh, seems to be that it's a given we're going to have a vaccine. Now, there's trials that started a couple of weeks ago in Oxford, and there's others around the world. Yeah. Abcellera here in BC is doing some really interesting global-leading things on, on therapies, but... Uh, we still don't have a vaccine for SARS uh, and for many of other viruses that are out there. So it's not a given. And I think we're going to have to adapt to a world that's going to be much more socially distanced in the way we do things, yeah. which begs the case for um, accelerating what is already happening. And we're experiencing it here right now, which is the online digital economy that BC has some strengths in and Canada has some strengths in. But we've got to double down on that to ensure the economy as a whole can adopt and advance that technology in meaningful ways. All right. So I'm not going to age you, but I'll, 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 I'll go with my own age here. I mean, the, the, this whole point, though, about personal contact, the importance of it, mm. the importance of having a meeting in a room where there's a lot of brain power and, and a dynamic that's going mm. on, we're, we're going to have to accept the fact that we're going to lose some of that dynamic in what it is that we're doing in business every day, aren't we? I think so. I mean, human interaction isn't going to change uh, in terms of its importance. I was talking with the presidents of the university just last week where online education is viable, but uh, where you really get strength of, ex uh, of education is through the experience and the interaction with people. So it's yeah. going to be a hybrid. Uh, but we're ex experiencing now, next week at the Business Council, we're doing a strategy session around the Business Council's work over the next five years. And we're using AR and VR with avatars to think about how we can virtually whiteboard. So uh, while I won't be able to touch you, I'll be able to see you and, and understand your gesticulation and, and, and really have a more immersive experience. And so that won't be a complete surrogate for what we've experienced in the past, but it's those kinds of technologies that are gonna accelerate, I think, Kirk, going forward. Only about a decade ago, Greg, uh, I think a lot of people uh, with, uh, with you know, the, the crash in markets and the economy uh, thought to themselves, okay, this means I'm going to have to work another five years. Mm. Uh, on the basis of COVID-19, uh, you can tack on a, another five years probably for another lot of people. What do you think are the, are the consequences of that and, and what, what need, needs do governments have to address now in terms of what will be an even more aging workforce? Mm. Yeah, I, th I think that's a really complex issue that, frankly, we've been grappling with, but it, the crisis has now brought it into the front front room, if you will, where we're going to have to really think it through. There's no question that many Canadians and, and people around the world are going to have to work longer. Um, not only, did I lose you there? No, we're fine. Uh, so, sorry, uh, not only um, will they have to work Technology longer. Technology is not ready yet, Greg, for this. They <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Not only uh, are we going to have to work longer uh, to sustain the quality of life we've got, but we've got a whole generation of young people that have been disproportionately hurt during this pandemic. Uh, yeah. I referenced some of the unemployment numbers. We wiped out Kirk, just last month in sorry in March, 12 years worth of economic growth for 15 to 24 year olds, and 
so we've got to think about that huge demographic cohort coming up of, of Gen Y and, and Gen Z and, and, uh, and yeah, millennials all yeah. generally. So I think you're going to see some innovative things like uh, job sharing and mentoring. Uh, I think you're going to see um, opportunities where you translate some of that wisdom and, and knowledge that people have into younger generations more effectively. Um, I think you're going to see the rapid adoption uh, of people that are older getting used to the digital economy. My mom's 86 and I'm facing FaceTiming her in her uh, care home because of the lockdown to, to prevent disease spread. So even my mom's adopting technology in, in interesting ways and it's, it's subservient to what our relationship is. But I think all of those things are going to have to be thought through, but we're going to have to think them through at speed. Uh, and technologies are going to find some solutions for that. But ultimately, people have been incredibly innovative during this period of time. Uh, when you go out in retail environments um, and when you go out uh, around uh, the economy and in businesses, uh, people are being very adaptive and very innovative in terms of how they're trying to both uh, look out for other people, uh, incorporate new thinking and uh, change business models to adapt to the new realities. What I wonder about, you you mentioned earlier, of course, the uh, the, the amount of government spending that will have to take place in all of this, uh, you know, the, the foregoing of a lot of revenue base that will likely take place over the next number of years. And I wonder whether we're going to come into an era where we will measure economic success a little differently, that it won't be on the basis necessarily of the balance sheet of, uh, of a government. Uh, in this case, but we'll have to look at other metrics that will, will give us a sense that we, we've succeeded in, in innovating properly and, and tending to people uh, thoroughly and ensuring uh, you know, uh, uh, businesses have some kind of sustainability. Well, I think that movement was already happening, as you saw, uh, think when he came out with this letter with BlackRock a few years ago around ESG and thinking about business's purpose going forward. A lot of our members have embraced that and are thinking through what they're doing, not just in terms of their uh, social engagement or engagement with employees, but really thinking holistically about their business in terms of environment governance and the sustainability uh, within society itself. So that movement was already happening and capital markets were starting to drive that going forward. The key on that is how do you actually measure success and what is it you're measuring against? And that's still in flux, but I think we'll move forward. The other side, uh, there's been a lot of writings over the years around as technology takes hold, we'll become a more efficient society. We won't have to work as much, and that hasn't been realized. But yeah. um, I, I think what you will find, uh, you may have had Jeff Booth on, the founder of Build Direct, uh, who's a tech entrepreneur, and just wrote a book that came out in January on Amazon called The Price of Tomorrow. And Jeff really explores those issues, the intersection of um the exponential growth of technology that is happening every 18 months in terms of computing capacity and movement of data and information uh, coupled with research. And we see that obviously in, in healthcare. And then the other uh, part of that graph, which is uh, government's propensity to just print money because the consumer has always been the driver of most economies. We saw that in 0809 where what got us out of the recession was consumer spending. Well, the consumer and governments are going to be tapped out coming out of this. So we're going to have to think about new models moving forward. And so what's the soft landing of slowly reducing the printing of money and making the consumer the engine of the economy and think about uh, how we create more purposeful companies uh, that fundamentally fill the needs that we have globally and locally? I think we're going to have 
shorter, more resilient uh, domestic supply chains that are going to feed yep. into some of that as well. And so I think it's a big social experiment in real time around how we reorient, to your point, uh, what is a satisfying life, what is um, environmental, uh, social, and government sustainability. And as you recall, we launched this last fall called the BC Prosperity Index to truly try to get at those linkages between individual prosperity, societal prosperity, and business prosperity, and how they're all linked and how we work together. And we're seeing it play out real time today. Sure is. Um, last area I want to explore, and 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 obviously, I mean, a, a number of people um, believe that their identities are wrapped up in the jobs that they hold and the careers that they possess. Uh, but another area of our identity as a community are the large gatherings that we have. Mm. And uh, through things like professional sports, through you know uh, theater, through concerts, symphonies, operas, uh, rock shows, those types of things. Mm -hmm. What do you think beyond the the economic toll that these will take? Because we, we're going to lose them now for quite some time. It appears a couple of years before we'll be able to to stage them. If if you really believe the the government today, mm -hmm. what, what do you think that does just an overall in in redefining our business identity in a community like this? Well, that's a, that's a very uh, profound question. I don't know of the answer to it, but uh, over the last two or three decades, uh, knowingly or not, we've put a premium on things we think have high value in society. Uh, so many people are watching the Michael Jordan documentary right now of the 96, or pardon me, 97, 98 season. Um, and, and just the, the pedestal that we put professional athletes and celebrity and others on offer. Uh, and I think back to your earlier question, uh, people are going to rethink that because those business models are going to be impacted. If you can't go to a sports event or you can't watch it uh, in a meaningful way on a variety of different channels, some of the, some of the economics are going to unwind going forward. But uh, I think within that, <clears throat> it'll cause people to reflect on where we do put value. Um, so you're seeing that in the public healthcare system where people making 60 or $70,000 a year are fundamentally on the front lines saving lives. Yeah. And so it, I think it'll beg some, you know, coming to my point about past pandemics, it'll really cause some inward reflection on what we value, both in terms of work, but also what we value in terms of what we're prepared to pay for. But there's no question uh, that global connectivity and technology is going to create some solves to that. I'm not a big believer in technology solving everything, but, um, you know, there's musing about having hockey games and telecasting about fans. There'll be more immersive experiences that will be available. Uh, yesterday, there was a piece that the VSO did for uh, on May the 4th celebrating Star Wars. And so there, I think there'll be those kinds of consumable pieces that'll be interesting and more immersive and will start to evolve over the course of time as technology and creativity from, from uh, people and, and organizations take hold. So it's, it, it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to be a long uh, unwinding. And we saw that uh, you know quick start in the roaring 20s that came to a halt during the Depression in the 30s and then leading into the Second World War. It may be a decade before we really see how entertainment and social gatherings and things really gel around what the new future looks like going forward. Because particularly um, the the model to date, I think Kirk has been, you know, you get later in your life and you go out and travel and spend time around the world. Well, I think that's going to come to a crashing halt uh, uh, as it did last month. But I think people are really going to think through how they travel in the future and what 
tourism is going to mean for them. And so they're going to be more purposeful. And, uh, and I think, again, part of that will be uh, the creativity of jurisdictions like British Columbia take advantage of the assets, but some of the technologies that we could be using to keep people safe going forward. Yeah, I mean, it, and and to kind of pursue that last question, uh, we you know, our businesses have al- have also subscribed to uh, the the building of a, a community's identity through things like these sports events, uh, mm-hmm. through the teams, through large shows, through their support of those kinds of enterprises. And I wonder whether now it's going to turn back to business to um, find new ways to uh, help the community define itself. Well. I- I don't follow European uh, football much, but if you think about the evolution of um, big global brands like Manchester United and Liverpool and uh, Real Madrid soccer teams, uh, those all started as small community teams that played the next door neighboring town. And that's the way things used to happen in Canada with junior hockey and particularly um, the evolution of, of other pro sports. So it may be that there's a retrenchment back to more localized supply chains in sports and entertainment in the same way that there is, I think, going to happen in business and the movement of trade and goods and sustainability moving forward. So idle speculation, but I think people are going to really rethink how they engage and and enjoy people's company and look for experiential uh, outings and opportunities that maybe we're not thinking about today. And sometimes the past has a way of repeating itself. Yeah. Greg, always good talking to you. Really appreciate your time today. Yeah, thanks so much, Kurt. And, uh, you know, just uh, remind everyone to be patient. This is going to take some time, but uh, let's be smart. And I'm a big believer in British Columbia and Canada. We've got such raw materials, but we need to be purposeful to really robustly rebuild the economy and collaboratively do that in a way that doesn't let politics and self-interest get in the way, but actually if we can float our boats in a competitive world, we can really benefit from it, not just economically, but I think the challenges that you've laid out today. Yeah, I think we're pretty self-satisfied with having handled that first stage in the way that it has been handled. So many more stages to come. Thanks for your time today. Thanks, Kurt. Greg Davignon is the president and CEO of the Business Council of British Columbia. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief of Business of Vancouver. You've been watching Coping with COVID-19. We'll see you next time. 